This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. These words of Jesus from the cross, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now, he didn't have to say those words. He could have simply departed into the hands of his father. But he said these words so that we would hear them, so that we would know that he departed into the hands of his father, that his father was there, that his father's hands were open and capable to receive him. So I've been pondering this phrase, into your hands, and wondering if something that we know about simple and ordinary human hands could tell us anything about the hands of God. Because the hands are pretty incredible. They're strong, they're agile, and hands can help us get something that we want. Like, for instance, if I'm really thirsty, the deep desire of my heart is for a can of LaCroix. And my hand can get the can and pop the tab and pour it in my mouth. My hands are my servants, doing what it is I desire them to do and to bring to me. Now, hands also can communicate. So I'm going to do some motions with my hands, and I'm hoping that especially you kids here will be able to just shout out to me if you know what my hands are communicating. Okay, here's one. Thank you, milking a cow. Yes, milking a cow, thank you, thank you. Thanks, Brett. Did you answer? Thank you. I remember how I answered in your sermon that time. That was awesome. Okay. Um, how about this? Come here. Come here. Great. Uh, let's see. Um, made that one up, but I don't know. Isn't it like the international sign for holding hands? I don't know. Holding hands. <laughs> okay, how about this one? That's right. Yay, clapping, and we are going to be clapping in just a few days. When we get to Easter, we are going to clap and shout for joy with our hands. But today, on Good Friday, we're going to pause to remember the crucifixion of Jesus the piercing of his hands, and the open hands of the Father. There are three things about hands that are very ordinary and that we all know that I'm going to talk about today and see if they can help us understand anything about the hands of God. The first is that hands love and show affection. The second is that hands can rescue. They can rescue and grab you. 
and hands can point you in the right way. So let's start with first hands love and hands show affection. Hands communicate affection as we find the love that's in our hearts reaching out to others. When our heart is full of love, our hands express it. They are the action of my heart to another person. Have you ever experienced the delight of a new baby and how, I don't know about you, but I just can't wait to get my hands on them. I just want to hold them because they are so precious. And one of the sights I love most in the world, though, is a dad who is first taking his baby into his hands. And it's like, I love this person. And look at every single hand. And the moms are thinking, we've been loving this person all along. But the dad, I don't know, finally gets it at that moment when they're actually holding the baby. Um, when my daughter Charlotte was born and, and I was just lying on the bed uh, in the hospital, I could hear my husband moving on the couch and he was holding her. And I heard him say, I love you, Charlotte. I've always loved you. And then when that little child grows up and falls on the ground, that dad runs and picks up that little one and so gently looks to see if there's a scratch or a cut on the hand, puts medicine, whatever is needed. Beautiful hands of a father. One of the most tender and affectionate motions of the hand is to touch the face. When my, it's a very intimate gesture, and when my children were little, I used to love to take their little faces in my hands. Look at them. They're looking at me. If there's a little tear there, I can just wipe it right from their eyes. It's focused, tender affection when we touch someone's face. This is the kind of tenderness and affection we often expect from mothers so that when it's absent, it's surprising. And Isaiah writes about this in his book, chapter 49. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? But even these forget. Yet I will never forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hand. God's love, he says, is greater even than the love of a mother. That beautiful love, even, even a mother can forget. And the scripture reminds us of that tenderness that we need and the insufficient, imperfect love and affection that we all face. When others fail to love us, to forget, it is a real pain and a real loss. It's part of living in the world. Human love is wonderful and hands can hold us and comfort us, but human affection runs dry, it forgets. Yet I will not forget you.
He will keep you close to him, so close that you are engraved on the palm of his hand. Our hands can communicate love that's in our hearts, and they can also show when we do not have love in our hearts. And because there are a lot of children here today, I'd like to say something to you. You know, or I hope you know, how much we love you in this church, that you are an important and beloved part of this church family, and we love you. We're so glad that you're here, and we want to repeatedly tell you how much God loves you as well. But I think it's important on Good Friday to pause for a moment and remember that your hearts are often full of love and also dry up. Also, your hearts have love that has dried up. And I know this is true because it was true for me. When I was three years old, I don't remember this, but my mom who is here tells me this, so you can ask her about it. When I was three years old, I was in preschool, and in preschool, we got to do one of those little projects where you have a, a disc of clay, and you press your hand down into the clay so that your parents can remember how cute your hands were when they were that small. And I think this is a great project now, I guess. I think it's a great project. Um, so my mom received a call, though, after that project had been done in the three-year-old preschool class, because somehow all the little handprints were crushed, smashed, pressed in, pinched. And the teachers wondering what could have happened, walking up and down, looking at, looking at all of these smashed little handprints, except for one that said, Margie was perfect, the perfectly preserved little handprint. Evidently, I went in there and smashed the others. I, I don't know. <laughs> so what was in my heart? I have no idea, but it was not love. <laughs> it was not love. And so children, I want to say this to you, that you have broken and sinful hearts. You have envy in your heart and sometimes desire to hurt other people when the love in your heart dries up. And you need the loving hands of Jesus to bless you, to love you, and you need the pierced hands of Jesus to wash your hearts, to fill you with his love where yours is insufficient or broken. Today, you can talk to Jesus about your heart and you can receive his deep love and ask his forgiveness. So hands love. And now hands rescue. You know, babies and children know that they need to be rescued and saved. They stretch up their arms, they reach up for help, and even before they can say, I need help, you know, they they just stretch up. They just, their hands are communicating their need, and they know that they're not big enough to do it. They reach up for help. They're communicating with us. They know that they're small and helpless, 
and they need someone bigger and stronger. So for instance, if I were to fall down here today, which I really hope I don't, but if I were to fall down here today, you know, I, I would not call to a toddler to come help me up. Right? Because I need someone who is stronger and bigger, who can reach down and pull me up. And that's what we all need, is a God who's bigger and greater and stronger than we are. I mean, I hope you know that you need help and that you can lift up your hands to God who can truly save you. As David writes in Psalm 40, he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, and set my feet on a rock. Not many of us actually fall into slimy pits, but all of us need to be rescued, and rescued from sin and death. I recently watched an amazing documentary about a soccer team of young boys in Thailand that after a birthday party one day, they decided that they would go cave exploring, which sounds amazing. And just in their neighborhood, they can just ride their bikes down, they toss their bikes down, they take off their shoes, and they go into the cave to explore. I'm sure they've been in there many times. There's like six miles of cave paths, or whatever you call them, in this, um, in this where they went into this uh, cave. They, when they got in there, um, something unusual happened, which was that the monsoon started before it was expected. And so I guess the way cave paths are is they kind of go up and down and up and down and all around. And so water from the monsoon started pouring in from, from the north and from the south. And so they found a higher place, but all of the exits were completely uh, covered in water. So they, they could not get out. And that night, as the parents are realizing the kids aren't coming home, where are they? And they go to the mouth of the cave, and there are their shoes, and there are their bikes, and it's just water. And then begins the challenge of how are we going to get these children out? First of all, where even are they? And how are we going to get them out? It's pitch dark. It's completely dark. They say you can't even see your hand in front of your face. They have no food. They have very little oxygen, and what they do have in there is getting less and less the longer they're in there. And so a uniquely skilled group of people from all over the world converged on this tiny city in Thailand. They brought just specialized divers, and they couldn't just be like scuba divers. They had to be cave divers, which is a... Uh, so that they could go through miles of treacherous underwater paths. Evidently, it's the hardest kind of diving in the world. One world-class diver said, you don't even see a rock until you've hit it with your head. The only way to get the boys out uh, from where they were, it's like if they were going to drill down, it would take four months. They had to take the boys under the water to get them out. And there are a lot of significant problems with this. First one is that they were afraid that the boys would panic because the experienced divers had to train themselves not to panic when they're underwater. They would inevitably panic. So one thing they decided to do was to give them, instead of just like little nose oxygen, to put the whole face so that their noses and mouths could be able to have oxygen. And they chose 12 elite divers. And one man said, there's probably 100 divers in the world that could go into that cave. 
and alone. Who could do it with a child? We have no idea. And they told the families, this is what we're going to try. Out of the 12 children, four of them will for sure die. There's just no way we can get all of these kids out. But we're going to send one diver for each child. One man, one child. And each diver was, they practiced in swimming pools. It was just this massive effort. I hope that you can see it. It's really incredible. But they, um, they navigated in such a way that the child would be protected so that if they hit their heads on the rock, the, the child would not. They would take all of the hits like that. One rescuer described the weight of responsibility he felt as this little boy was placed in his hands. Until that moment, he said, I was doing this because it was an awesome challenge and the greatest thrill of my life. But he didn't know or love that child before that moment. But when he took the boy in his hands, the gravity of the task and the preciousness of his life gripped him. And he said, I will do anything. I will get my kid out. And I, it brings tears to my eyes because I think that guy didn't even know that kid. <laughs> and God knows you. And he knows the cave in which you find yourself and the kind of rescue that you need. And he says the same thing to you. I will get you out. I will do anything. We cannot save ourselves from deep waters, of sin or of death. Like David cried out, deliver me from deep waters. And Jesus said, if anyone comes to me, he will be saved. Hands love and hands save. The third part about hands is that hands show us the way or guide us. Just a couple weeks ago, I walked over here at the marsh, and my friends Faber and Pippa were over there playing. And Pippa said, do you want to see our house? Come on, I'll show you. And she grabbed my hand and dragged me to show me her house, because that's how you show people. You grab them by the hand and you bring them along. That's exactly what she did. And right here in this sanctuary on Easter, there's going to be a lot of hand-holding and people dragging each other around to say, let's dance here, let's go there, all of the joy. One thing we really love is if there's an adult that's at the front of that line, <laughs> because they can really guide. They can see, they're a little taller than the kids, you know, they can see when there is like a prayer minister over there. They can guide you around this font, which after baptisms are typically very wet. We don't want anyone cracking their heads open. We want all the joy, all the dancing, all the holding hands, and just please hold the hand of an adult <laughs> that can guide you because that will just be so safe, and that's what hands do. They keep us safe. They guide us. They show us the way. And Jesus, too, wanted to show his friends the way to take their hands and to lead them. And the way that he was taking them seemed great, when the way was miraculous healings, huge crowds, amazing teachings. But on Jesus' last night with them, the scripture says he began, his spirit began to be troubled. He was brokenhearted, and he said to them, I'm going to die. You are all going to leave me, 
and scatter to your own homes. Peter, you are going to disown me, and the one that takes bread from my hand will betray me. Thomas speaks up, says, we don't know what is going on. He really doesn't understand why Jesus is so upset. Why is he talking about betrayal and death? I'm sure he did not see that Jesus' death was the way. Even after the resurrection, Thomas had a really hard time. He was disillusioned by this way. He was maybe afraid or angry because he loved Jesus. He thought he was the Messiah, and Jesus' death crushed him. Even the news of his resurrection was too much for Thomas. His friend said, Jesus is alive, we saw him. And he's like, no way, no, it's over. I am not opening my heart. I'm not hoping again, unless, unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails, and I place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And Jesus heard Thomas, and in Jesus' love, he came to rescue him. Eight days later, when they were all together, Thomas was there. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. Thomas could not see that Jesus had led them to Jerusalem for this very purpose. He led them to the cross. Jesus always brings us to the cross. And it is also sometimes disillusioning and crushing for us to see the path leads us where we do not want to go. Some of you here, I know something of the path that you are on. The path has led you to tremendous heartbreak. You've longed to be married or to have a child, and that has not happened. Your vocation, which at one time seemed to bring you joy and invigorating purpose, is now a weight around your legs and a burden of overwhelming responsibility. You are crushed by the infidelity of your spouse, in body or in heart or mind. You live in chronic self-loathing because of a pattern of sin you believe to be so shameful, so impossible, that you're tempted to despair. Your body is in pain, leaving you with a life of constant exhaustion and diminishment. Some of you are facing serious illnesses, or you're watching your spouse suffer in this way. I've had the honor of sitting with you in these dark 
and painful places for a few minutes. But Jesus sits with you every minute. He has engraved you on the palm of his hand, and his hands are strong to save. When I hear your pain and your fear and your despair and your unmet longings, it breaks my heart. I would never choose a path like that for you, but I'm not the one leading you. Will you trust our Lord that he is leading you by the hand? Lord, I want to go where you are leading. I want to place my hand in yours, but the path you have is hard for me to understand. But I open my hand. When you come to the cross, you can place your finger in the holes on his hand to receive his love to receive his rescue. And when there are no words, the gesture of your hand on the cross is your prayer of faith. The hands of God are open to us now. Will you say with me, Jesus, into your hands I commit my spirit.